0: Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we have the ability to think your word if we choose to feed ourselves your word. So I pray tonight as we minister your word that we'll gain revelation of your plan. Lord, I know that that it's not what I say, it's what you say that counts. So I pray tonight that there's a spirit of revelation, that we be open You know, the scripture says you opened their minds in one place in the gospel of Luke. I pray you open our minds that we would hear, we would understand, we'd walk in revelation of what you want to say to us. So Father, I give you praise tonight and we honor you for your word and what you want to say in Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen. So what in the world is going on, do you think? I mean, the Russians have invaded Ukraine. And no one really seems to know the reason, not even the Russians. I mean, they can't even articulate why they've invaded the Ukraine. And and they even said something to the effect of, well, the people of Ukraine want to be Russian again. That obviously is not true because of the way they've reacted to what the Russians have done. We need to pray, though, for the Ukrainian people. By and large, the Ukraine is a Christian nation. I mean, there are a lot of Christians in the Ukraine, and uh, we need to pray for the Russian people. They don't even know what's going on. I mean, there's a, a media blackout. They don't know what's happening. Uh, the Christians in Russia, the ones that can, can, can communicate with, the, with other countries, they know what's happening there, but, but it's not a war that the Russian people want. And so we need to pray, pray for them. China, oh, they're poised to invade Taiwan. I mean, they believe, of course, that Taiwan belongs to them and and that uh, um, they, they, they have a right to bring it back into their menacing jurisdiction. And uh, they're poised to do it at any time. We've just gone through a so-called pandemic, and other people call it different names, but, but the, the whole world is on edge because of the pandemic. You know, I mean, people just go to the airport and you can find people are on, on edge when they get on the plane and have to wear the mask and all that. But it seemed it was more of an excuse... To override the freedoms of free people in free countries, and it was also uh, in other places, it was to further the oppression of people in and, and dictatorships and, and communisms. NATO seems to be confused. They seem to be very confused. The United States seems to be fearful and compromised regarding the response of all this world uncertainty. You know, in the past, the United States was unrelenting in our stand for freedom. In our willingness to stand any place on the planet for freedom. And It was very clear what we would do. So what's going on? What's going on? Let me read you a scripture. This is kind of fun to think. Not fun, but it's interesting to think about. This is out of Ezekiel chapter 39. The, the discourse began in chapter 38, but I'm going to begin in chapter 39. It says, Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshesh. Now, which is now Moscow, and Tubal, which is now Syria. And I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel, and I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy hands and the people that are with thee, I will give thee into the ravenous birds of every sort, to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and I will send a fire on Magog and upon them that dwell carelessly in the in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is talking about an end time war, <clears> or <throat> Gog and Magog and 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 uh uh, uh Meshesh and Tubal come and attack Israel in the end times and it's talking about the end of things. Magog literally means the Prince of Rosh. Rosh is the the word, uh, it's the root word for the word Russia. And so this is talking about the land of the north. You can't go any further north really than Russia, you know, on the globe, you can get to the North Pole, but I don't know that there's not much there, But it, but Russia is there. So this is talking about the land of the north, and most theologians believe it's talking about Russia coming and invading Israel. And, the, and their path has to come through through uh, uh, Europe and 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 down uh, into into the Middle East. And so this is, this is what they're talking about. So here's my question. Do you think that could be talking about today? Is this the beginning of that? Is this the beginning of what's going on? I mean, if it's the beginning of Russian aggression that leads to the prophesied end-time war with Israel... Man, well, how does that make you feel? It ought to make us be excited because that means Jesus is getting ready to come back. I mean, that's, that's what's getting ready to happen. I mean, it gives you something to think about. You know, you think about the news and you think about the things that are going on. And, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, if these people come and do that, I feel sorry for them because we know what happens in the end of that war. And, 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 and you know, I saw a news article today that the Russian army young men, they don't even know what they're fighting for. You know, they've been jerked out of their homes, and, and they're now fighting in a country they don't even know anything about, but they're just out there doing what they've been told to do. But I feel sorry for those. But if that's about to happen. Jesus is about to come back. Now, think about this passage of Scripture. Jesus is referring to the end times in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 24, and you've heard part of these Scriptures. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The biggest problem in the end times is Deception it's actually the biggest problem right now deception the enemy comes to deceive it says for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many listen to this and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars now that seems to be happening right now the next phrase is very important see that you be not troubled now is that possible to do Absolutely it is. Jesus said, see that you be not troubled. He would never command us to do something that we are unable to do. He said, you're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear about rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation shall rise against nation kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. But in the process of that, Jesus said, see that you be not troubled. That's going to take some discipline of the mind and the heart to be not troubled. Talking about the end times, this is Luke's, part of Luke's version of the same discourse. Jesus said, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. He says, he says their hearts will be failing them. The the, the phrase failing heart literally means to be faint hearted because of fear, faint hearted fear the word here is the greek word phobos which means to be alarmed or to be frightened jesus is saying don't be deceived which is the devil's main course of attack and he says don't be troubled in these times don't be faint-hearted in these times so the question i think it begs to, to be asked are we is it possible we're in the last days well the answer is yeah it's possible it's possible, I mean everything is going on like we can see in the scripture, but if it is, we are not to be troubled we're not to allow the news media to trouble us we're not to allow the circumstances to trouble us if we're listening to the current events of the hour and we're listening, and if we're listening and that and that and and the trouble that we 're in, if that causes us to be faint hearted and afraid, and worried, as opposed to being courageous, then our thinking is wrong. We have to think differently. If our heart is troubled and failing, it's time to begin to assess the times in which we live according to the Word of God. What does the Bible have to say? And we need to rejoice because the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh said and, and I know they've been saying that they said it at World War two and World War one they've said it all, all this time but I'll tell you the alignment uh, in the Middle East and with Russia right now is more relevant to scripture than ever before and so if this is that time if this is that time we need to rejoice we need to be glad I, I'm excited about it Jesus they came to Jesus one time and told him about Herod and he said you tell that fox he said I'm going to cast out demons and heal the sick today, and tomorrow, and on the third day, I'll rise. Well, if a day is just a thousand years, thousand years is a day. It's been a—it's about the dawn of the third day right now since Jesus was raised from the dead. Just saying, could be we could be in that place. Just saying, the earth is approximately—it's almost at 7,000 years old since the creation of Genesis. The seventh day is at hand. And I believe that corresponds with the third day that Jesus referred to. What's gonna happen on the seventh day? You already know, God's gonna rest and we're gonna rest with him, okay? I'm not telling you that on this day, at this time, this is gonna happen, but it's possible that I'm right. It's possible. And so we should be rejoicing in these times. There is an attack on the church today. There's an attack on the people of God. There are attacks on Christians all over the world, but there's an attack. Remember the last time we talked about that that, that when the devil attacked Eve, he, he, he came as a snake, as a friendly person, and he attacked her. She was beguiled, the Bible says. The attack was on her mind. The attack was about what she was thinking. In our daily lives, for us to walk in peace and victory and hope, we have to walk with our minds renewed in what God has said. We cannot allow our minds to be corrupted. The devil wants to bind us in fear, and then we'll be willing to exchange our faith in God uh, for some kind of false sense of security, which would include the loss sense of freedom, lost freedom, and the promise of man. He wants us to give up on God. He wants us to not believe what God has promised us. Worry is a paralyzing form of fear, and it ultimately ultimately becomes a stronghold in the mind. And so we can't allow these things to trouble us to the degree that we worry, and we worry. The devil wants you bound in fear. He wants to bind you up because you're afraid. So the only answer to any of this is having our minds renewed We've talked several times about this over the weeks. We've got got to have our mind renewed so we know what's going on. The devil is a crafty one. Over the years, I've learned this. I don't really have a lot of Scripture for this, but I've learned this is what happens. And I think we can find it in Scripture. The devil's first step is he wants to get you um, oppressed. He comes and he starts talking to you. And and what he does is... He comes and he talks to you and wants you to think it's you talking to yourself. He brings thoughts. He'll bring a thought to your mind. He comes with thoughts that are contrary to the word of God. He'll speak those thoughts. Well, nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You'd be better off if you never met that person or if you never married that person or if you never did that. And he begins to do it. He comes and he talks and he begins to whisper in your ear things that contradict the word of God. It'd be like if the devil came to me and he would say, oh, you should have never married that Tammy. You should have never married her. What am I supposed to do with that? Resist it in Jesus' name. Resist it every time in Jesus' name. For me, it'd be pretty easy because I'd be like, what are you even talking about? I'm married so far over my head. I'd be a nut not to be married to that woman. But he comes. But not, not, Now, I resist him. But what does he do? He comes back. He comes back and he comes back. He keeps coming. He he, he wants he wants me to give in. The Bible says that we're to cast down every thought and bring them into the obedience of Christ. But he comes with those thoughts. They're not my thoughts, they're thoughts the devil just comes and he brings and he brings and he brings. All right? We have to resist him. His plan is to keep coming. We must do all that we can to stand and stand. Ephesians 6, 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against not the devil or the power of the devil, but you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's the trickery. That's what he wants. He wants to trick us. He wants to trick us into being afraid of the Russian invasion of, 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 of whatever it is. He wants to trick us to be afraid of, of the Chinese, to trick us to be afraid of, I don't know, the zombies we see on TV, all the things, even though I don't know if I've ever seen a zombie on TV. But the Bible says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, listen, it's, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand, therefore. And he's talking about this, we have to be willing to stand and stand, and stand. So the devil comes, and first of all, he wants to get you oppressed so that he can get you obsessed. If he can get you to take a thought, there he's, he's really he's really got to. Uh, it, 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 when we get obsessed with something, a thought that's not from God, a thought that's not, that contradicts the word, that's what the Bible calls giving place to the devil. The scripture says in Ephesians 4.27, give no place to the devil. Give no I, you, you, you give no place to the devil. Literally, it's talking about give no permission to the devil. Do You understand the devil has no real power over us unless we give him permission. He's looking for us to say, yeah, come on in. He's looking for us to say, yeah, let me think about that for a while. If we allow the devil a place, the literal word in the Greek means a spot, and we take a thought. You should have never married Tammy. You should have never married Tammy. You should have never married Tammy. And then if I ever take one of them, you know, maybe I should have never married Tammy. And I begin to think that way. That's a disaster on my life waiting to happen, and that's the destruction that Satan wants to bring. You begin to think about it. Then you think about it again. You think about it again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden, you're obsessed with a thought that you never really had before. And when you get obsessed with it, you think about it, you think about it, and all of a sudden, you can tell when you are, because you've got, if you're obsessed with a thought that contradicts the word, two things are going to happen. No joy and no peace. You can't be made happy. You know, it's like that old song that Linda Ronstadt used to sing. I've been cheated, been mistreated, when will I be loved? And people think that way. And they begin to think and they begin to think and they begin to think that way. And, the, and, and so the only answer is what we said before. We must resist the devil with the sword of our mouth. What is that? It's the same one that Jesus used. I mean, it is the word of God coming out of my mouth as I believe it and I speak it out loud. That is the sword of the spirit. Learning how to say out loud No, get behind me, devil. I will not entertain this thought. I won't have it. The only way to overcome a thought is with words, and you speak out loud to overcome it. We've got to to learn to take a stand. If he can get you obsessed, he's going to get you possessed. And there are lots of levels of possession. Some are the crazy lunatics like the demoniac in the Bible. Others are people who are just so off in an area of their life, they're just possessed by a certain thing. If he can get you to do that. We must take a stand against the devil. We've got to learn to take a stand. Do you realize that there is no place in the New Testament where we are instructed to pray to God to do something about the devil? Did you know that? The Bible never says that we're to pray to God. God. Pray to God that he will rebuke the devil for us. They never say that. The Bible never teaches that we're to ask God to do something about the devil. We are told to exercise authority over him ourselves. That means we've got to think right. Think according to the scripture. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power. The word power there is authority. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Who does that? Who has that authority? You do. I do. He gave us authority to that. The Bible says in Ephesians 4:27. I've already quoted this. Neither give place to the devil. What's the subject of that? You. You don't give the devil a place. It's up to you. The Bible says in James 4:7, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You submit You resist, he flees from you. God told us to take care of this. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion. Walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. You be sober, you be vigilant, you resist. That comes as we renew our minds. We've got to have our mind in the right place. If we are afraid of the devil, we're in trouble. Our job, we have authority over the devil. I've always preached it this way. The smallest child in any room who believes the word of God has more power than the biggest demon out there. Because if they'll speak the word and believe what God said, the devil cannot overcome the word can't do it if we believe it and we have it. And for Christians to fear the devil is a mistake every single time. Isn't that good? Well, shouldn't you? you better not be talking bad about the devil because he might, he might pick on you. Listen, Jesus has already humiliated him and every demon out there, according to Colossians. We have authority over him. So that brings me to my text here. We've read this every time. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We must have our minds transformed. The key here is I want to know the will of God. If I know his will and do that, then I'm in a good place. Would you agree? I mean, I want to know his will. If I know that, I know when my son, have two sons. One went to Thailand after he graduated from high school for, for, for a while. The other one went to Guatemala after he graduated for a while. And I remember my mother would say, Oh, I am so worried about them being in these foreign countries. And I said to her, I said, Mom, let me just tell you this. Being in the will of God in Thailand is safer than being out of the will of God in Lubbock, Texas. Being in the will of God in Guatemala is safer than being out of the will of God in Lubbock, Texas. If we just know what to do and do that, that's the best place we'll ever be. And that verse tells us how to get there. Having our mind renewed not conformed, conformed. You know, we talked about being pressed into the same mold to conform to the system of the world, to conform to what everybody else does, the peer pressure that's around us to be like them. The Bible says we are not to do it. Be not conformed. If the Bible says don't do it, guess what? We can don't do it. We have the ability to do that. Be transformed. The radical change from the inside out a transformation that takes place. I mean, we need, we can do that. We can be radically changed by the renewing of our mind. When we got born again, our body and our mind did not get born again. Our spirit did. And now we must get those things renewed, like the Word says. The Bible says right now we, even, we only know in part, but here's the deal. We know in part, but we have His book that has all the answers in it if we'll just take the time to find out what He has to say. I mean, we hear, it, we hear it sometimes in churches when they say, you know, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything will be okay. That's not true. Ultimately it will because we get to go to heaven. I get that one. But it's not, everything doesn't change. If you got a mean mama when you get saved, you still got a mean mama after you got saved. I mean, if you, st- if you had a problem with, 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 I don't know, with, with uh, uh, the subject of history and you're in college, you still might have a problem with the subject of history. But, now, but here's the difference. Now you have the greater one living inside of you, and he can help you deal with those things. But it didn't change everything on the outside of me. It, my spirit man was born again. And so we've got to learn how to think right. Think the way we're supposed to think. And I asked the question, I ask it several times, what is a thought? Is Are thoughts important? Well, we know from Romans 8, 6, it says, for to be carnally minded is death. Minded means to think the way we think. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Are thoughts important? Yes, there's a difference between life and death based on what we think. It matters what we think on. What's a thought? We've answered this question, but you can go back and listen to the messages because you can download them off of uh, the, the connection that Tammy gives to you. It's, a thought is is a spiritual form of something that can become. It can become a reality. A thought is not just nothing because it can become. A thought like a sculptor or or a painter, they see it before they do it. I'll tell you, this message that I'm talking to you about tonight, I saw it before I typed it. I saw me teaching it before I typed it. And it was because I saw it on the inside of me that I can do it on the outside of me. A runner, a football player, Anyone who does things, you see it before you do it because it came from a thought. Thoughts produce action if you think on it long enough. I mean, we we, we need to recognize this. The words of God, the Bible, they represent the thoughts of God. If we want to know what God thinks and get those thoughts in our mind, we've got to get in His Word. We we need to know that thoughts are important. I mean, people think, well, it doesn't matter what I think about as long as I don't act on it. Well, that simply is not true. The problem is if you continue to think on them, it will change the way you act. It will change what you do. Thought, thoughts will change, change should make us feel different. I mean, if I took the thought and said, you should have never, never married Tammy, you should have never married Tammy. If I took that thought, I would act differently toward Tammy. It would change the way I act. And pretty soon she'd be thinking, I should have never married him. But we can't take the thought... And think it's it's just innocent for me. If you take the thought, you take the thought. I mean, the devil operates freely in people's lives. Even Christians, because he brings thoughts, they meditate on it for long periods of time, then they begin to act on it. We must take the thoughts and get where we're supposed to be. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 55, and you know this passage of Scripture. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now that verse is right there said it's possible to change the way you think because it says the unrighteous can change their thoughts. Thank God, I was the unrighteous one time, but now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I can change my thoughts. It says, "Let him change his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God for he will abundantly pardon." Now listen what it says, "For my thoughts Are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, a lot of people have taken that, they just, well, see there, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't thank the thoughts of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about forsaking thoughts. He's saying, My ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If righteousness just simply means right, he's saying my thoughts aren't aren't your thoughts, unrighteous man. That's who he's talking to here. His thoughts are higher than the low thoughts of the unrighteous person. All right. He's talking about forsaking the low thoughts and thinking the higher thoughts. Low thoughts, unrighteous. Wrong. High thoughts, God's thoughts. They're right. And righteous people can think righteous thoughts. Wrong is low, right is high. Let me take you to a New Testament verse. I got this revelation this week. I've never thought of it before in my life. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. And I love this passage, and I've meditated on this passage. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Have you ever read that before? What are those things, do you think? Where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. What does that really mean? How do you set your affection on things above? Now, here's where, we, here's where we, we've, we've thought about. This means to get emotionally, think emotionally about the throne and about the, the cherubim and about all the things in heaven. I mean, wouldn't it be, it's gonna be great when we get to heaven to see that, just to be there. I had a vision one time, a long time ago, of heaven, and it was it was before there were HD TVs. And I'm going to tell you something: it was more radiantly clear than the clearest HD or what's the newest one, the 4K. It was much more clear, much more radiant than that. The presence of God is different than anything we've ever seen before. It is so clear and clean. But but I digress. Is that what that means? To think about to 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 set my affection because we think about affections as being is our feelings and and that type of thing well the phrase when it, it says set your affection literally literally what that what that's talking about it means to exercise the mind so what he's saying here is we are to exercise the mind on things above now what that's saying is not a feeling or an emotion it's talking about thinking He's saying we're to, if we're, he says, he says, if we're risen with Christ, seek the things that are high. We're to set our affection on things that are high. He's talking about, he's talking about, we're we're to exercise our minds on things that are high. The Lord said, my thoughts are high. We are to exercise our mind on his thoughts. How can we do that? His, his thoughts have been expressed in His Word. The way to think the thoughts of God is to think the Word of God. Do you know how you can speak a foreign language easily? You got to learn to think in the foreign language. When you can think in a foreign language, you can speak in a foreign language. If we can learn to think, the word in the circumstances we face, we will speak the word in the circumstances we face, and we will be revolutionized because we will be transformed, because we are speaking, we are we are exercising our mind, thinking about what's on high, thinking about what God has said. And people are like, well, yeah, but I just don't know the Bible well enough, not yet. But you got to begin to exercise your mind, begin to begin to look at it, begin to get into it. You know, I remember. I learned how to understand the King James Bible because I read the New International Version. And I compared the two. Because in those days, all preachers preached out of the King James. I still do. But But we learn to exercise our mind. Think about it. And we do that, and I'm going to tell you, it will change us into another person. We're to think on his high thoughts. We're to get a revelation in our minds that our minds are our minds. My mind is my mind. I can think what I want to think, and I don't have to think on what I don't want to think. It is my mind. The devil cannot force me to take his thought. He cannot force me. He can't make me do that in the name of Jesus. I have authority over him, and the greater one lives inside of me, and I can think what I want to think. In fact, I do think what I want to think. Everybody does. We think The devil wants us to think we can't help what we think on. Well, I, I just can't help it. Listen, we're not victims if we'll understand the truth. The Bible tells us some things. He, Jesus said, don't think about that. Think about this. The scripture tells us what to think about. All right? We can refuse thoughts that contradict the word. If God tells us to do something, he expects us to do it. And we, we just need to do what he says. He expects us to do it to, for us to say, I can't help it. I can't help what I think. You just said that you know more than he does. Because he said you can't help it. You can do that. We need to do what he tells us to do. There's empowerment in his word. Man, we have a choice to choose what we believe. We can choose high thoughts or low thoughts. We have that choice. Psalms ninety-four nineteen says this. This is kind of interesting. It says, In the multitude of my thoughts... Within me, thy comforts delight my soul. In the multitude of my thinking, I believe this, we don't have to be held captive in our thoughts. We don't have to live the rest of our lives depressed. We don't have to have the spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. The New Century Version says it this way, I was very worried, but you comforted me and made me happy. It's talking about, I was worried, but I changed my thinking, and you made me happy, because I began to think a different way. I considered your thoughts. Psalm 139, we've read this before. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. God has great thoughts. In fact, we know that that God's thoughts are for life and for peace. He said, I know the thoughts I think about you, and, and, and and their life and their peace, Verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We need to begin to pray that. Try my thoughts, God. Show me if I have wrong ways of thinking. I think if we start that now, maybe by the time we get to heaven, he'll have a harder time finding those things. We We need to know there's a difference between thinking right And thinking wrong, thinking high and thinking low. There's a difference between thinking about vengeance and and how you're going to get even with them and and how you're going to take care of them. That affects everything in your world. It'll affect your health. It'll affect everything. But if you think about forgiveness, that changes things. I mean, think about Jesus at the cross and how He shed His blood for us. And man, that'll set you free instead of the vengeance part. We can be transformed. We can be free. We can be happy. Say this out loud. My mind is my mind. Just say it. I can think what I want to think. think. Because my mind is is my mind. You need to say that all the time. All the time. Never say I'm losing my mind. Why would you say that? My mind is my mind. Renewing our mind is not that complicated It's finding out what's good to think and what's bad to think and think on those things that are right. Man, we need to figure out what's true and what's a lie. People who think wrong, I mean, you've been around them at work and where you are. They're the ones who gripe all the time. They're the ones who complain all the time. They're the ones who never get promoted and then they gripe some more because of that. They're the ones that they're just going down a hole somewhere. Their kids are a mess. Things are bad. We need to learn how to think the way we're supposed to think. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we're to cast down imaginations and thoughts. The word cast down is the Greek word ballo. It means to throw down with force. We need to throw them down. We have a choice about what we think and what we we should be thinking. We need to practice, practice being quiet before God like we did early tonight and just begin to think his thoughts. When your day's coming up, be quiet for a few minutes. You know, I'm too busy sometimes trying to tell God what I need Him to do today. And He's like, why don't you just be quiet and let me help you with this. And then I can let my thoughts connect with His thoughts. So we need to be people who have our minds connected to Him. Let me read you another couple passages of Scripture. I'm almost done. In Matthew chapter 14 tells the story of Jesus walking on the water. He's walking on the water to the boat where the disciples were. And so Jesus gets out there, and you know this—they're out there, they're 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 in trouble. And Jesus comes walking on the water, and they're kind of like screaming like little girls because they think he's a ghost. Okay, they're afraid. So the first thing Jesus says to these guys is, "Don't be afraid." <laughs> That's a—you know—I can understand that. I mean, you're out there, and Jesus comes walking to you on the water. I mean, you've been working hard all day, and Jesus is getting the boat go over there. I'll meet you. <laughs> And they figure that he's going to meet them the normal way. And he comes walking to them on the water. The water's rough. They think they're going to die. They're afraid. And all of a sudden they see Jesus. The moon is on him. They think he's a ghost. And they begin to cry out. It's a ghost. It's a spirit. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Okay. He, he, he did not ever say, I, I know it's hard. And I know you can't do it because I know it's impossible for me to do what I'm doing. And I know you can't, you can't help it. No, he just just said, don't be afraid. If Jesus said, don't be afraid, guess what you can do? You can, don't be afraid. You can do exactly what he says. Okay, and then Peter, verse 28 says, And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Well, what is Jesus going to say? It's not me, don't do it. (laughs) he kind of just put Jesus in a corner here. If it's you, the word bid means command. Okay. Command me to come to you on the water. If it's you, I'm walking on the water with you. Command me to come. Okay. The next verse, Jesus said, come. <laughs> That's all he can say. Verse 31, 30 says this, it says, so he gets out there. He's walking on the water, walking on the water. And it says, And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. What what does that have to do with anything, do you think? When he saw the wind was blowing hard, it made him afraid. The guy's not afraid to get out of the boat and walk on the water in a storm. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. You don't see the wind, but you see what the wind is doing. He was afraid. I mean, he saw it. He was afraid. It says, and he cried and and, and beginning to sink. Now, that's an interesting statement, beginning to sink. Anybody ever began to sink? You you, you You either sink or you don't. He just started to sink. It was going down slowly. He was beginning to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, not bad for your first time out. No, that's not what Jesus said. You would think that he could say all kinds of things to Peter. But what did he say? The first thing he said to Peter, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The very first, not Good try, buddy. Good try. You realize, Peter, nobody in the whole world has ever walked in water, but you and me. We're the only two to ever. You did a great job right there. He didn't say that. Grabs him, pulls him up, and says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I mean, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. He doubted. The word doubt literally means to think two thoughts at one time. To try to think two thoughts. Doubt is spelled D-O-U-B-T. And so it's kind of the word duo talking about two things is D-U-O. So it's kind of an kind of interesting thought here. But doubt means double. To think double. To think two things. Jesus, the what is the word of God? Come. The command from God is walk on the water. What should Peter's renewed mind be thinking on? One thing. Walk on the water. If our mind is renewed, we can prove the perfect will of God. Jesus said, come on, walk on the water. The Bible says in James chapter 1, it says, in verse seven, for let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Duo, thinking, two thoughts. He's unstable in all of his ways. I mean, it says we're to ask in faith, nothing wavering. All right, double-minded, two things. The Amplified says a man of two minds is unstable, unreliable, and uncertain about everything. When Peter was in faith, his mind was on one thing. What did Jesus tell him to do? What was he supposed to do? His mind was on one thing, the word of God, which is what? The perfect will of God. That's the perfect thing. He should have been thinking about his will only. His will is the word. His, that's, that should have been in his mind. One thing: when the wind hit him, somehow he thought, "Well, nobody can walk on the water in these conditions." What a crazy. That, that's irrational. I mean, nobody can walk on the water in any condition, and yet he's doing it right there. But the wind somehow made him irrational. He looked away, and he began to think about two things at one time. Instead of his mind being set on the word, he began to think about the circumstances that were around him. And he's now in two minds, and he began to think, sink. We have to have one thing. What did God tell him to do? Many Christians live their lives vexed because they cannot decide between this or that. And, and all they have to figure out is what did God say? That is the answer that they're supposed to do. When we can think on the one thing, we don't consider anything else. Don't let anything come between us and that one thing. It's kind of like if you went to a restaurant and you, they gave you the menu and the only thing on that menu was beans and cornbread. Pretty simple. When the waitress comes, what do you want? Beans and cornbread, because that's your only choice. Beans, you may not want it, but that's all. If you're eating there, you're getting beans and cornbread, because that's all that's on the menu. You see, when God tells us what to do, there is nothing else to consider. Nothing else. If we get the word from God, there's nothing else to even think about. There's just this one thing. I mean, Peter was stressed because he considered the waves He's stressed because he considered the wind. He was stressed out. He should have never considered a second thing, only what God said. It's his will only. That's what we're after. I mean, remember Jesus said, Martha, Martha. He said, you're troubled about many things. Mary has chosen one thing and it's good. And I'm not taking it away from her. Mary was like, remember we we talked about the raven when Jesus said, "Consider the ravens? She's raven minded. She wasn't worried about the working and the toiling and the you know ravens. They don't even have congressmen. They don't have anybody. They just they just they just they just know that God's going to take care of them. They don't have barns. They don't have any of those things. Mary's thinking like a raven. She just knows that Jesus is going to take care of it. Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. She's thinking about one thing, just one thing. Find out that the devil is the king of the yeah but. God said, and then the devil says, yeah, but. Yeah, but he didn't mean that. Yeah, but surely that's not on Tuesdays. Surely he didn't mean every day. Surely there's one day that you could do that. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. He's the king of that. And so the devil convinced Martha to think about something else rather than what Jesus said to do. See, some people, they think they are so intelligent that they have to consider every angle of every situation. But if the Lord tells you there's one thing on the menu, there's one thing you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to do the one thing that God said, and you don't have nothing else on your menu. There's no need to think about anything else. Paul said he was concerned about the Corinthians' minds, they would be corrupted from the simplicity that is Christ. We need to think about what God said. Listen, if it's not an option, to have an affair, if it's not on your menu, and you don't, you don't even have to let yourself consider that one. If it's not on your menu, that, 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 that you ought to steal that, it, there's nothing to consider. You don't, have to even, you don't even have to think about it. It's nothing to consider. I mean, you, you, talk, you see people, they sweat resisting temptation. Why? Because they're thinking two thoughts. They're thinking two things. They've allowed another thought to come in. When it's not on the menu, we don't have to think about it. May not be what I want, but I want what God wants and I want his will only. And that needs to be what I think about. The Bible talks about Abraham in this way in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Remember, he had a promise. and He's an old man now. And he says, he considered not. It wasn't on the menu that he was too old to have a child, that his body was too old. It wasn't on the menu says, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That wasn't on the menu. The menu said you're having a child. He'll be like the stars of the sky. Your descendance is like the stars of the sky, the sands of the sea. The next phrase says, he staggered not at the promise. The word staggered is the same word as the word waver in the scripture. He didn't waver. He didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't consider it. He refused to think about his body, refused to think about Sarah's body. He refused to think about how, look, the devil had to come and say, look how old you are. This is impossible. You can't do this. You cannot do this. What did that have anything to do with what God promised? Had nothing. God's word is all he considered. That's what he thought. And I believe he was happy because he refused to think about all the other stuff. He chose what God said. We've got to quit thinking about all the things. We've got to capture thoughts. We need to do this. Do not, according to Philippians 4 6, the New, the, the New International Version, 4 6 through 8, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That is the menu. Nothing else. We keep God's thoughts, and then there is peace, and there is life. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you in the name of Jesus that you give us an answer. You show us what we're supposed to do. Lord, help us to clearly hear your will. And Lord, let our minds let our minds be focused on your will only. Let us have no other option but your will. Father, I pray tonight that our ears are open and our hearts are ready to receive what we've just heard. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.